Well, we're in part three now of our series, Flannel Graph Heroes. And last week, Pastor Tyler preached part two of this series and did a phenomenal job. He's somewhere. Did an awesome job. You know, before digital media, before smart boards, and before all these things, Sunday school teachers, the worldwide used flannel graphs or felt boards to tell their Sunday school stories. They would pick a character, Samuel or, or, or Samson or David, whoever, Noah, and they would grab the character and they would stick it on the felt board and then they would put other characters on there, the animals or the ark or whatever, as they told their story to make it come alive. And that's really what this series is all about. We pick a character from the, from the Bible and then we, we see how their life can impact Ours. It's one of my favorites to do. We do it every year with new material because I love the Word of God. It's powerful. And uh, part one, I talked about the, the life and the crazy calling of the prophet Hosea a couple of weeks ago. If you missed that, I'm not even going to try to summarize that, that deal. You'll just have to go back on our website, newlifecanton.com, and see that if you missed it. And then last week, Tyler did a fantastic job once again teaching on the life of Elisha. And how promotion in God's eyes is not the same as it is in our eyes. And you really need to go back and check that out. He did a great job with that. So this week, I got my character in a very unusual way. Now, I'm very careful about saying God told me or God spoke to me about this. But I was dreaming. It's true, true story. Dreaming last week. And it was, I was in church, and I got out of church, and one of you, I don't know who it was, came up and said, Pastor, who's the next character for the flannel graph? Like you would even care. Anyway, I, it was definitely a dream. But I came up, and you were like, who's the next character? And, I, and immediately, without hesitation, I said, Hannah. Hannah was not even on my list. I had 20 people, characters that I was praying about, looking at, studying about, and thinking about for this series. Hannah was not one of them. And so when I woke up, I was like, well, I guess we're going to talk about Hannah. Because I dreamed, I mean, now listen, it may have been the pizza from the night before, I don't know, but it might be God. So we're going to talk about Hannah, amen? Now, if you don't know who Hannah is, that's okay. In about 30 minutes, you're going to know a lot about Hannah. And I seem to be... I don't know about you, I seem to be drawn to these lesser known, less famous characters in the Bible because they're a little more normal than some of these epic stories. We're going to look at some of those in the next couple of weeks, some of these big characters, epic stories. But Hannah's life was not like that. Hannah's life was characterized by by how she handled heartbreaking disappointment. Anybody relate to that? I think so. And in her mundane common life, she shows us some uncommon behavior and reactions. And Hannah's life is worth our attention this morning. And I pray it blesses you. I pray it speaks to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray as it has has, uh, ministered to me this week, the life of Hannah and the story of Hannah, that it would begin to do that in the life of my people this morning. Speak to us through your word. Lord, let it become powerful, let it become prophetic, let it become life-changing. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right, so a really important question before we dive in. This is very, very serious. Are you ready? I'm going to let the tension build just a little bit. How many here have ever made a mixed tape? <laughs> 
How many have no clue what a cassette is? <laughs> you have to know what a cassette is before you can make a mixed tape. All right, and let me see the hands. How many have actually made a mixed tape before? Raise your hand. That's not bad. I, I figured the 9:30 was a little, you know, a little older and a little more few more people that were in there. But anyway, yeah, we're telling ourselves big time by saying that we've done that. In my estimation, there's three ways to make a mixtape. Some of us even had records, okay? And so you would take, my dad had a really nice record player with a cassette deck, and so I would have different records and different songs that I liked off of each of those. So I would take the record, and you could dub from the record player to the cassette. So that was one way that you could do it. If you were really advanced, Technologically, you really had the cutting edge stuff, Jared. I'm talking about, I mean, stuff you would die for. He's like 17. Anyway, you had a double cassette deck. And you could take your favorite cassettes, songs, and you could you could dub from that to the other and put together your favorite mixed tape. I even had a boom box. Still do. Is that what she said? Still like. I got this idea for this illustration, and we were helping my parents get ready for a garage sale. Oh, Jesus. Sorry, Mom. Anybody do garage sales? It's just like, anyway. So you're going through the stuff, and you can't do anything because you keep stopping to look at the stuff. Oh, I forgot about this. You're going to sell that? Oh, I hadn't seen it in 30 years. So I was seeing my, my mixtapes. But listen. The legit way to make a mixtape, if you were going to make a legitimate mixtape, you had to do it from the radio. You had to be committed. You had to wait on the song that you wanted. You had to linger. You had to tarry. Come on, somebody. You couldn't get up and get a glass of water. You couldn't get a sandwich because you might miss the song. And then you had to wait again. You had to wait, and then when it came on, you had to be like a ninja and be like, because you had to push down two buttons. Somebody tell me. Play and record. And then there's that moment that you accidentally missed the record button and just hit the play button, and you've missed it. And you had to start all over. So one song could take you hours. An entire mixtape could take you days. It was a commitment. You had to be persistent. Just like in prayer. Ah, did you like that? that was, I did much better in this service under the last service on that, that little transition right there. Come on, prayer. It's not Burger King. It's not fast food. It takes time. You have to press. You have to persist. You have to go deep. You have to wait. James 5.16 says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person avails much. The passionate prayer, the persistent prayer, not the passive prayer, not the lay me down to sleep prayer, I remember, I remember the, I know Gail, you, you'll be with me on this one. I mean, remember the old saying, don't stop praying until you pray through. Only about four of you. Don't stop praying until you pray 
through. Pray through what, Pastor? What in the world are you talking about? I'm talking about praying through the problem. Praying through the situation. Praying through until you get an answer from God. Whatever that answer is. Praying through. Not praying to and stopping. Praying through and breaking through until you hear from God. And that may take a second. It may take a moment. It may take years. I know it sounds cliche and very churchy, but the best thing that you can do with your problems and your pain and your disappointment and your situations is pray. Because prayer works. We have a mighty God. But sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes you don't even see it for years. But God is working. And that prayer works. I could tell story after story. But prayer, biblically, is our lifeline to God because of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made. Now, I think to a degree in our culture, we've lost the desperation that would put us on our knees until we get an answer. Because we have a lot of stuff, don't we? Come on. We have stuff. The poorest in here has stuff. And we look to our stuff for the answer. We look to people and medicine for answer. And there's nothing wrong with going to the doctor. I'm not saying that. But we look too often to our first world stuff. You want to know why there's not as many miracles in America as there are on the mission field that I see in Pakistan and I see in Thailand and I see in these other... Because they're desperate. There's something about a desperate heart crying out to God that gets his attention. And there's something about a desperate heart that causes him to move and to act and to heal and restore because they're pressing and they don't give up. That's desperation. Hannah's story is one of desperation. Let's see what she can teach us, even from the Old Testament. She's on the other side of the cross. She didn't have the Holy Spirit, and yet she touched God. That's powerful. I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to do the whole chapter. You're like, oh, my God. That's my favorite way to preach, y'all. I love reading and preaching, reading and preaching, reading, grabbing the nuggets, grabbing the takeaways as we go, and that's what we're going to do. 1 Samuel 1, I'm in the New Living on the screen. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in uh, Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jehoam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, son of Zuf of Ephraim. I'm not reading the Lord of the Rings. I know it sounds like it. Come on. Give me a little more of a laugh. Elkanah, Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah did not. Now, it's important to understand, if you study this out, read the Hebrew and all that stuff, Hannah was the chosen wife. She was the beloved wife. She was the one that Elkanah pursued and married. She was the chosen wife, but she was barren. She could not have children. She was not getting pregnant. And so in that culture, Elkanah was permitted to take another wife, Penina, to just have kids. Now, this situation of infertility, I have to be sensitive because it's, it's still reality today, isn't it? There's people under the sound of my voice in a crowd this size that have struggled with that. We've, Kathy and I have walked as pastors with couples struggling with this. We've come a long way medically. 
But sometimes, even with medicine, there's, there's not a way. And then I've watched as couples have chosen adoption as a loving alternative, and, and, and God has given them beautiful, beautiful family. But in this culture, Hannah's culture, in this period of time, having children wasn't just important. It was everything. And not just children, but boys. A woman's value was based on having boys. That's harsh, but it's reality. And so because Hannah couldn't get pregnant, like I said, Elkanah took this other wife to ensure his family name went forward. Now, can you imagine the grief, the disappointment of Hannah? Not just the the natural disappointment that any woman would experience, but then the cultural pressure that she was under. That is the context of this story today. Verse 3 Each year, everybody say each year. I want you to remember, each year, this is not overnight. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's army at the tabernacle. Time out real quick. The group that I took to Israel last year got to go to Shiloh. It's one of the the places where they know this is where this took place. If If you go with us in 2020, in February, you'll get to go to this very place. I have it in my head right now. It's so cool to have been right here. The priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. These guys were trouble. If you study on, we're not going to get to it, but these guys were trouble. Just take my word for it. On the days, uh, on the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, remember this is before Jesus. They had to present sacrifices to pray, to go into God's presence. He would give portions of the meat to Penina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. Listen to this. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. So I kind of wanted to go back in time and talk to this guy, Elkanah, and be like, Elkanah, be like, hey, dude, how did you think this relationship was going to go? You got two wives. (laughs) You got two women in the same house. You've got the one that you loved, that you married. And then you bring in another one just to have... How did you think this was going to... Did you think they were going to be friends? No. And yes, that last verse, verse 6, that's tough. That's hard to preach. That's hard to read. That's hard to think about. The Lord had kept her from having children. I don't want to stand up here and pretend that I understand the sovereignty of God. But I know in my life, there's been places that God has allowed me to travel through and things to go through that weren't comfortable, but that he used for his glory. That I couldn't see in the moment, in the time, in the season, in the year that were very difficult. But later I saw God sees the ending from the beginning. And there was a sovereign, a God reason for this to happen. And that's where simple trust in the Lord in his goodness and his sovereignty. There is, there's, that, that's, that's what we have to learn from this. And that's not easy. So Hannah had this huge weight pressure 
on her shoulders. She had this burden that she could not carry, a problem she could not solve. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anybody ever been there where you could not do it? She needed help. The question was, where was she going to go to get that help? Because this isn't the first time this has happened in the Bible. I'm reminded of in Genesis, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, Father Abraham, yeah, that guy. He had a word and a promise from God that they were going to have a son in their old age. And through that son, a nation would be birthed, Israel. And from that nation, the Messiah would come. But Sarah was 90 and no son. And so she began, she began to, to manipulate the situation and she began to, to think of ways that she could jump ahead of God and help God out. Never a good idea. And so she took her servant, Hagar, and gave her to Abraham. And Abraham was like, okay, because he was a man. Anyway, and they had a child and it became a mess. It was a mess because it wasn't God's will. It wasn't his plan. They jumped ahead of God. They tried to work it out on their own, in their own flesh. Then I think about Abraham's grandson, Jacob, with his beloved wife, Rachel, who could not get pregnant, but she had a, he had another wife, Leah, who was getting pregnant, and she would taunt, same exact situation as Hannah. But Rachel began to manipulate and jump ahead of God and began to give servants to Jacob, and he was like, okay, it's the same thing. And it became the most dysfunctional family. Read it. I dare you. It became the most dysfunctional family that you have ever seen. And somehow, because God is almighty and he is gracious, out of this dysfunctional family, God did something beautiful and produced the nation of Israel. And from Israel, we get the Savior. Now, there's a sermon in all of that because even in your dysfunction, God can bring out something beautiful. That's not the sermon for the day. Would Hannah make the same mistake? Would she make the same mistake? Who would she turn to? Verse 7, year after year. There's a reminder again. It was the same. Anybody ever feel trapped? It's just like it's never going to change. It's never going to change. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Let me give you a quick point right here. Look at the screen. When you're struggling with something, the voice of opposition can become deafening. When you're struggling, when you're down, the negative voice can become the only voice that you hear, the only voice that you're... Come on. When things are going well, when things are going good, when you're on the mountain and everything's clicking, everything's working, you could care less what anybody says. You're like, look, go ahead, talk. But when you're down and things turn the other way, suddenly all you hear is the negative. And then the paranoia starts. And even when they're not talking about you, you think they are. Listen, it's always important to listen to the right voice, whether things are going good or bad. But when they're down, when you're struggling, when you're depressed, when you're full of pain and anguish, it is critical that you hear the right voice and listen and follow the right why. Because look at the screen. The voice you listen to will determine the future you experience. Folks, it's not rocket science. It really isn't. 
If the voice is tearing you down, if the voice is speaking negative to you, if the voice is making fun of your faith, if the voice is making fun of your hopes and your dreams, it's not from God. And I don't care if it's from your mom or your child or your best friend. You can't allow that voice to speak into your heart anymore. Now, I'm not saying you're rude. I'm not saying you cut the person, like especially if it's your mom, don't do that. I'm not saying you cut the person out of your life, but you cannot let them speak into it if it's negative, if it's tearing you down, if it's toxic. Verse 8. Why are you crying, Hannah? Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. You have me, cat. Come on. That's better. That's better. I'm better. I'm better than ten sons. And I just, I just wish I could have seen the eye roll. I mean, that eye roll must have been like yours, Ashley. I mean, at my, my Ashley, she can eye roll. You can see it from 100 yards. I mean, she must have been like, really? That's what you're going to say to me right now? I think Elkina was a good man, but he was a man. All right, now all that was kind of funny and light, but here's, here's something extremely important. Here's the thing about grief and pain. Look at the screen. Misery can keep us from seeing and experiencing the good things that are right in front of us. Misery, depression, anxiety, pain, disappointment, those things can keep us from seeing the blessings of God that are right there. Hannah's life was far from perfect, but she did have some very good things. She did have a good husband. She was loved. She was chosen. She was favored by him. She had a good roof over her head. She had had her faith in God. She had food to eat. She wasn't a slave. Come on. She wasn't in captivity. And we think that's a big deal in the Bible, and it is, but it's a big deal today. Do you know that slavery still exists, that hunger is still there, that there are wars and that people are running for their lives as we are speaking this morning. And yet with our first world problems, that's all we see. And we forget about the incredible blessings of God that are right in front of us. These things will blind us, blind us from the blessings. I've heard, and when I've counseled people, I've heard people say this in my office, pastor, if I could just start this life over. I'm just afraid I've messed it up. I've made too many, I've burned too many bridges. If I could just start over this life with, with what I know now, I would do so much better. Folks, listen to me. You don't need a new life. You need a new lens. You don't need a new life. You need a new lens. You don't need a new life. You need a new outlook. You don't need a new life. You need a new perspective. You need a new paradigm. And that can only come on your knees, committed to the Lord, getting in God's presence, praying through the situation until he gives it to you. Thank you for one clap. That's all right. No, no, no. I know this is not easy. I know this is hard. 
But there's no shortcut. And here in this culture, that's all we want. I recently got back into the gym. I hate it. There's not one, not one part that I'm like, you know, that's not, no, it's all bad. Some of you like it. Anybody like to, uh, no, put your hand down. You don't, you're lying. I love it, Pastor. I just love to to just sweat. Lisa. Lisa. I don't. But there is no shortcut if you want to get in shape. There's no pill. They'll, They'll say there's a pill. I've tried it. It don't work. Save your money, trust me. And many times what is in the physical is reflected in the spiritual, mirrored. There's no shortcut to a breakthrough. There's no shortcut to a new outlook, to a new perspective. You don't need a new life. You need a new lens. And that comes when you have prayed and sought God and the Holy Spirit begins to reveal again the blessings that are right in front you and prayer <laughs> Paul says to pray without oh pastor that's a metaphor and no he's, he's not hey you say that's that's impossible you never pray without ceasing well we do a pretty good job on some days complaining without ceasing I'll just go back here what if we flipped it over And we prayed as much as we complained. It would revolutionize our life. And pray is exactly what she's about to do. i got to move on. Verse 9. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish. Are you feeling this? Crying bitterly. It had moved from just feeling bad, folks. She was bitter. But she was praying. That'll preach. God's not afraid of your emotions. She was bitter, but she prayed, and she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his whole life, and as a sign that he's been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will be never cut. Same Nazarene vow of Samson. Now I want us to notice three things about her prayer. In this verse, in the verses to come, number one, Hannah prayed from her heart. There was no pretense. She wasn't wearing a mask. She wasn't trying to fake it until she make it. Come on, somebody. That's how we, that's how we do. Oh, good afternoon, brother. I'm doing great. That's how we do out in the hallway. Come on. That's, that's what we do. God's not interested in that. She prayed from her heart. She poured out everything to him, and God can handle that in your life. God can handle your reality. God can handle your pain. God can handle your disappointment and your doubt, even if it's in him. He not only can handle it, he wants to hear desperately. He wants to hear your voice. He desperately, he longs to meet with you in prayer. She also made a vow to God. Now, careful here. I'm not going to tell you 
to make a vow or not to make a vow. That is between you and the Lord. But if you do, number one, be careful. Number two, you better remember it. When he answers. And keep it. When he answers. Verse 12. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk? Throw away your wine. Now, Hannah must have been so emotional. We know she was. She was bitter. She, was, she wasn't thinking about Eli. She was pouring her heart out to God, and it must have been so intense that he thought she was drunk. And that's the second point, not to get drunk. Hannah didn't pray to impress anybody. She wasn't praying to impress anybody. This reminds me, this whole getting, thinking that she's drunk, it reminds me of Acts chapter 2. Anybody know where I'm at? When the 120 were up in the upper room and they were praying and seeking God and worshiping God and tarrying and waiting on God, and he poured out his Holy Spirit to birth the church, and the power of God, the Holy Spirit, blew through there like a mighty rushing wind, and tongues of fire came down, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Lord gave them the utterance, and then they spilled out onto Jerusalem, and, and, and people thought they were drunk. And Peter was like, hold up. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> I love that. It's my dad's favorite verse in the whole Bible. <laughs> it's only nine. Come on, give us a break. Everybody smile. It's okay. That's in the Bible. Read it. It's really cool. We're not drunk. We're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They weren't worried about what anybody was saying to them. And Hannah wasn't worried about what Eli was thinking about her and, and as she is praying and pouring her heart out, and neither should you. And here's the other thing. Be careful about judging someone who is worshiping a little different than you are or who's praying a little harder than you, making you feel a little bit uncomfortable because they're a little more aggressive. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know where they've been, and you don't know what God is doing in their heart in that moment. Reserve your judgment and offer grace. Verse 15. Oh, no, sir, she replied, I haven't been drinking, but I'm very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman. She's like, that's all I need right now. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm doing through this, and now the priest thinks I'm a drunk. She said, I had been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. He's like, in that case, go in peace. Pretty quick turn right there. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. And then something happens. Something really changes. She's like, oh, thank you. She went back and began to eat. And she was no longer sad. What in the world? I think a couple of things. I think she did pray through that day. And number two, she got a word. She got a blessing. Look at the screen. Never underestimate the power of a blessing at just the right time. God may use it to change somebody's life. Come on. How many? Yeah, go ahead. Praise the Lord. How many of you have you? I won't say how many. I'll just say this. A lot of times we're in a situation where we see a coworker, a friend, somebody, they're going through hell. And something just goes in our spirit to say to them, and we have a choice. And we've all 
messed this choice up, and we've all probably followed through and said what we should say and encourage them and bless them. And then some of us decided not to. What if it was that blessing that would change their life? That's powerful. That's powerful. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you to say and to encourage somebody who's going through something, don't ever turn that. That's the Lord. If that voice is encouraging, if that voice is encouraging faith in God, that's the Lord. Now, if you're about to say something stupid, keep your mouth shut. Because then you're the other voice. You're the toxic voice. Don't think that, that the enemy can't use a Christian. Oh, I'll just go on. Wow. I got to hurry. Verse 19, the entire family got up the next morning. Went to worship the Lord once more. They returned home to Ramah. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him who? Samuel. You haven't heard of Hannah, but you've heard of Samuel. Samuel was one of the biggest names in the Old Testament. He was the last judge of Israel. He was the prophet who anointed the first king. He was the prophet who anointed David, the greatest king of Israel, used mightily in the Old Testament. She said, I asked the Lord for him. The next year, Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer sacrifice to the Lord and keep his vow. But Hannah did not go. She told her husband, wait until the boy is weaned. Then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Verse 23, whatever you think is best, stay here for now and may the Lord help you keep your promise. He knew how difficult this was. Well, he didn't know, but he knew. Come on, men, right? So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned, probably about three years. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. Verse 25, after sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Listen to this. I love this. Sir, do you remember me? I would to God that some of you in here who have been praying for something for years and years and years and years would have a moment where you could walk in and say, do you remember me? Do you remember I was the very woman that you thought was drunk? But I was praying. I was praying. Folks, some things just don't happen overnight. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't throw in the towel. God is at work. Even if you can't see it, the story isn't over. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he's granted my request. Now I'm giving him to the Lord, and he will belong. Everybody say belong. He will belong to the Lord his whole life, and they worship the Lord. Listen to me. If God gives you an answer, don't smother it. Don't try to hold on to it. Don't strangle the life out of it. Be willing to release what God has given you to use for him and his kingdom and his glory. And that's the third point. Hannah attached her prayer to the glory of God. Hannah attached her prayer. It it, it wasn't, April, it wasn't about her anymore. Come on, somebody. It wasn't about her. It was about the glory of God. If you want to change your prayer life, if you want to change the impact that you make in prayer, you'll stop praying just for yourself, and you'll start attaching your prayers to the glory of God. And one of two things will happen. One of two things will happen. You'll get a miracle right then and there, or God will begin to change your heart, and he'll begin to reprioritize your prayers. You may start 
start praying out over here, but if you'll persist and you'll keep on with it and you'll keep committed to it, he's going to begin to move your heart and move your spirit to where his glory is being poured out and your will will align to his will and then he will answer. He will answer. He will answer. Either way, he gets the glory. When we'll figure out it's not about our glory, but his. He'll begin to move and answer and show himself mighty. I feel the presence. I'm done, but listen, I think it's interesting to know that Hannah, her name means grace. What does grace mean? Unmerited favor. Unearnable favor. Did Hannah feel favored at the beginning of our story? Did Hannah feel favored for those years? She did not. You may not feel favored this morning. You may be going through a struggle and you may feel everything but favored by God. But how you feel and who you are is two different things. Let me say it again. I didn't put it on the screen. I should have. How you feel and who you are is two different things. How you feel will change in the moment. How you feel can change based on the fact you ate the wrong thing at lunch. How you feel can change in a moment when that coworker says a dumb thing to you. Or you get the wrong text. How you feel changes from moment to moment. But who you are in Christ is the same yesterday, today, and nothing can take it away. You are a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I don't care what Satan throws at you. He can't take that away. The world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. The world didn't give you your identity and he can't take it away. Your coworker can't take it away. I feel the Lord. You may not feel good. You may not feel favored this morning, but you are in Christ. Stand on that promise. You may feel barren in your spirit, but God wants to birth something in you today. You know, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. You can come to the Lord right now. You don't have to be, oh, pastor, wait a minute, I'm still dealing with an addiction. I have to. No, you don't have to wait. The Lord wants to hear from you. He wants to hear your voice just as you are. Bow your heads, please. 